Hello, and welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein, and I'm infertile. And so is my co-host, Postel Pringle. And so is our engineer, Jesse. And today we're going to talk about uh, vasectomies, which is why we are all infertile. And we're going to talk to the dude who gave me mine, Joseph Alucal, Dr. Joe. He's a professor of urology at Columbia University Medical Center. When he gave me mine, uh, he was down at NYU. What I remember from the experience is he's a great conversationalist and just a cool guy to hang out with. And I remember the smoke from my balls. So today on the podcast, we talk about the procedure itself, why I got it done, why 500,000 men a year get it done, talk about how it affects my dating life, which is complicated, and Dr. Joe finally explains the difference between semen and sperm, which I never understood before. Join us. It's loads of fun. Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Dr. Joseph Alucal, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm so sorry about this. It's just been a, it's been a crazy few days. Oh, it's okay. I, I think there's a lot of uh, urethras to deal with. <laughs> all, all kinds of stuff. Not just, not just urethras, but yes, uh, strange things happen, yeah. and, uh, and then all of a sudden, here you are. Uh, yeah. A little bit later pa- than you thought. Pa- uh, hi, how you doing? This is uh, Postel Pringle, co-host. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was going to add that also two pairs of balls to go with each urethra. So it's like, yeah, a whole, yes, the, yeah. now, now we're getting closer to sometimes the unexpected stuff that or or the organ that the urethra lives in. The Can't organ the urethra lives in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that so sounds like a song. It's like a memoir. Yeah. <laughs> the organ that right. the urethra lives in. Right. Memoir. Yeah. I think it sounds like a folk song. Um <laughs> Yeah, Bob Dylan, right? (laughs) (laughs) You are just an organ that the urethra lives in. And then then all of a sudden, um, um, uh, harmonica, harmonica yeah, solo. Um, So, uh, Dr. Luco, first of all, thank you for being a guest on the Fatherly Podcast. You are talking to me and Paz have both had vasectomies. Jesse, can I say that? Yeah, Jesse, our engineer, has had a vasectomy, so it's a bunch of... A bunch of dudes, you know, with no sperm. Yeah. We're spermless yeah. dudes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no swimming. And that's okay. That's totally okay. <laughs> is uh, it? Yes. Yes, it is. That's, okay. That's the point of the I just, I just need, I need reassurance every now and then. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to uh, tackle this as part of the fatherly podcast because obviously as a dad, um, I, you know, having a vasectomy is a big it kind of like cuts to the root of what it is to be a father and to be able to procreate, so to speak. Yeah, I, um, you know, I wanted to share a little bit about like why I got my vasectomy and then maybe Paz, you can talk about yours and then Dr. Lucal. But should we call you Dr. Joe? Which you can call cool. me Dr. Joe. That's totally, or you could just call me Joe. I mean, either is totally like, okay. I like Dr. Joe. I like okay, a Lucal. Really? Yeah. A Lucal's pretty cool too, but I like cool Dr. Name. Joe that's really like, <clears throat> I don't know. It's really homey. It's really like I don't know, folksy. I like Doctor Joe. Doctor Joe, yeah, the urologist. Yeah, and also kind of, kind of, kind of sounds tough. Okay, you know what I mean. Well, look. So I forget. So you were the one who gave me my vasectomy, like a beautiful present in my crotch. So thank Josh, you very much, Josh. I, I thought that was the case, but I wasn't totally certain because it's been a little while. <laughs> you see so and, many. And, you know, I I've done a couple thousand now, and so I was like. 
do I know this dude? And so that thank you for closing the loop for me. And then the other, which is important, was I wasn't entirely sure if I was right about that, that I could just disclose that all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, yeah. I talk okay. about my vasectomy all the time. It's like my... Hopefully, my... hopefully, and you remember it fondly, and people are happy to hear about it. I hope that's the case. So yes, um, it's like a big crowd well, pleaser when yeah. I talk about my vasectomy. Yeah, I was about to say, it depends on what part of the story he gets to. Then It like it starts off as like a sort of like subtle fa fascination, and then it really it's like a great story, and then it kind of gets gross. No, oh right. man, no! I don't. I don't. I, I'm worried about the gross part. No, 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 pa no, pa no, no, no. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. okay, so basically, uh, my idea was, you know, I was married um, when I got the vasectomy, and I, I was having conversations with my wife at the time about the fact that birth control had been for the duration of our marriage pretty much her uh, responsibility. And she was taking birth control, um, and the, she didn't want to put the hormones in her body anymore. And I sure. couldn't, and after thinking about it for a while and discussing it with her, it's like, well, why is that her responsibility? It's also my, it's my sperm, you know, like I, there's two in that equation. And the, the surgical procedure of a vasectomy is so, I mean, it's been my experience was so, um, minor, it's not major surgery, that I had a hard time justifying not doing it. So that, so like sort of um, parity in the relationship was really important to me, especially because um, hormones is such an invasive sort of chemical to add to your body for a woman that, that how could I ask someone to do that every month? Sure. Josh, I, I got to tell you, there's a, there's a few things about that. I wish that you were sort of like the poster boy in terms of, you know, thinking about this and sharing it with people, because what you just said, I think, is the logical route that people in a committed relationship would take towards getting a vasectomy for the guy when they're done having their kids. And there's there's one piece you left out of it that I think is super important, too, which is, you know, the comparable procedure in a woman, uh, a tubal ligation, tying off the tubes that get her ovaries to her uterus, you know, that requires anesthesia. It's more invasive, you know, and she's already done the heavy lifting, literally, of having your guy's kids. Yeah. Why not take this, this minor procedure on yourself? Um, that's with my doctor hat on, and I can certainly go into more numbers, details, like what are the things about a vasectomy that I think um, maybe people should know and they don't know. Um, but the one other thing I would say as not a doctor, but like a, a, a husband and a dad, I, I do actually, you know, I wish I had medical data to support it, but it strikes me that it's crazy the amount of estrogens that we're letting out into the wild and estrogenic compounds in the form of birth control pills. What do you mean into the wild? I mean that, that when the women you know take birth control pills every day of the month, every month of the year, they pee the majority of that stuff out. Okay? Right. A lot of those compounds have only been metabolized to some extent, and so they still have estrogenic capacity even though they're now in the wastewater. Where do they go from the wastewater? They eventually make it back into other water, our drinking water, right. uh, the water we use to, um, for agriculture, 
for farming, for animals. It's like the human equivalent of like those micro beads that used to be in yeah. like beauty no products. Kidding. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. You yeah. know, those just ended up everywhere. You know, when when we're talking about and and I get it. Some of some of those compounds are coming from other things that we're doing in nature, plastics, things like that. But I think we've finally reached a point where many of us, not all of us, are looking at each other, going, "Hey, what can we do to take better care of our Earth in terms of the stuff that we're not even thinking about, like the stuff that's affecting our health, that's coming back to us from things like." Uh, inorganic produce, non-organic produce, from things like our water. And I, I actually think this ends up being a much larger problem than people realize. Okay, now again, I can't prove it, and I took off my doctor hat before I said it, and there's probably some uh, executive with a pharmaceutical company that makes birth control pills who's like, like, literally trying to figure out right now how he can find me and punch me in the, you know, <laughs> How <where>? can I <laughs> sue him? Well, he didn't have his doctor hat on. And maybe he doesn't have enough estrogen if he's really getting that, like, aggressive. So. Yeah, who knows? We'll, we'll find out. I'll measure his hormone level. I mean, that, pretty, that pretty, is yeah. a very interesting aspect that I, I had never thought about, the environmental impact of of birth control hormones. I, assume, I definitely though, know, never thought about that, actually. As a doctor... There's other horm hormone. I don't want to say. I don't want to say waste. I don't know how you say it. Like the uh, effluvia, you know, yeah. that's rich in hormones, which is going into our water table. Is that something? I don't know. Not really related to vasectomies, but is that something that you feel like is a concern in the medical establishment? I do think. To put it differently, I think people are now thinking more. Certainly in in medicine. They're doctors, both uh, men's health doctors and women's health doctors, so gynecologists who are thinking about these questions and asking about this. And, and sir, you know, I, I've had the chance to interview gynecologists before who are looking into the question of, you know, where are the estrogens in our environment coming from? And, and certainly a, a big component of that, the one that they really want to point their finger at all the time, and, and I do as well, is plastics. And so we, we are asking ourselves whether or not the plastics in our environment, in the same fashion, it, it leaches into the drinking water, then it gets into all of our food, and then it gets into, uh, and as well, you know, what we drink. Um, is that having an impact with regard to health issues both in men and women, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. including things like breast cancer, prostate cancer, including certain kinds of birth defects that are impacted by the hormones that a baby's exposed to in the womb? So... I know this is on the radar that people are trying to answer these questions more scientifically, but I can't tell you that there's any one study that says, I know exactly how much of this stuff is in the environment and how much of it comes from X or Y or Z, okay? I absolutely do know that when somebody tells me, Joe, you know, I, I've read the science on where does our body put this stuff when we're done with it or what happens to the estrogenic compounds that are in plastics when as the plastic item decomposes, that it's a very real amount, right? You know that that it's it's not a negligible amount, and I, I couldn't tell you. I know, I mean, you know, the no, amount of plastic that's you know produced and in our environment now is waste is in the trillions of tons. Is that more or less than it's how much? All is it? due to birth control. Well, I, you know, I, I mean, I'd love it if that were the case, but I don't, you know, because then it's a solvable problem. Yeah. But is that more or less than the amount that women in aggregate are peeing out? I don't know. Yeah. And to, to walk it back one more second, it's it's an important public health question from a different perspective in that we're always trying to figure out what our best contraceptive strategy is uh, from a public health perspective worldwide, right? So if you go to third world countries where unwanted birth is, is it's really a health issue. You know, the, the burden that, that carrying a pregnancy has on a young woman, um, the burden of 
caring for that child uh, when they're an infant and as they grow up, it, it has an impact on these societies that are poorer than ours and certainly has an impact in our own society. So if we're going to ask ourselves the question, okay, worldwide, what are we doing to enable people a chance to have the family they want and to not have children unexpectedly and thereby burden our society, uh, we got to actually have a strategy that's healthy to deploy in terms of saying to people, okay, this is what you're going to do for birth control. Now, the, the problem with that is if we're talking about let's go offer vasectomy to single men who haven't yet had their families, that becomes a tough one to justify, right. Right. you know, uh, because you're making a decision for that guy that somewhere along the line, if he decides, okay, I want to have kids now, well, what's he going to do? And we have options for that, but we shouldn't have to put the whole world through that. Right, right. I'm rambling. Hey, no, uh, you're not. So I had a question. Um, uh, this pivots a little bit, but um, um, how did you go from being uh, just Joe um, or Joseph, if I may? Is Joe is Joseph for Joseph? Yeah, the, okay. it, it it does. Yeah. To to Doctor Joe, the urologist. What was fascinating to you about urology? Like how did, how did you come to that? I, sure. It that's um. It's a, a question I've been asked before a bunch of times. You know, it's funny. I get asked that question, it seems like, all the time when I'm doing a vasectomy. People always ask I asked you that question when you were giving me a vasectomy. It's just such a weird thing to be in a room with a dude messing with your balls. You want to yeah. make small talk. Yeah. No, you, you need to talk to people. That's one of the ways you can keep them comfortable. And, you know, people are doing this procedure, and it takes 15, 20 minutes, but they're wide awake. Yeah. You know, so so that you, you really do want to be able to help them be comfortable. And so, you know, talking is an important part of that. But I think lots of people reach the same question in their head. They're like, why does this dude do this? You know, <laughs> how did that happen? So, um, so I, it, it's, a, it's an interesting story for me in that it involved a family member who figured out that they had a particular kind of kidney cancer. So the, the guy was a doctor, and he had diagnosed himself with this tumor because he was having some symptoms, and he got a CAT scan, and the CAT scan showed him that the tumor was the size of a football, which is way too big for a kidney cancer. And so I just started in medical school. I'd basically been there just a few months when he called me, and he was like, look, you know, the place you're at, there are some very, very famous urologists. Can you please ask them where I'm supposed to go near where I live, where I'm going to have a chance of actually surviving this? And I got off the phone with him, and I, I didn't even know at the time that urologists did that surgery. We I are also, it seems so sure. far from... What you and I did. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I'll, I'll walk you through that. But yeah. we, we are surgeons of the following um, interesting collection of organs in the body. So in men and women, anything in the urinary tract. So our kidneys make urine, our bladders store urine, and then anything downstream of that, Bob Dylan's urethra. And then as well... <laughs> Robert as well, Zimmerman's the, urethra. Yeah, exactly. yeah, sorry, all of the above. Um, the reproductive organs of men and sometimes women. And women, there's an overlap with like certain kinds of surgeries we do versus the gynecologist, mm. okay? And so anatomy-wise, you've got to know some strange parts of the body, certainly the genitals. You've got to know what's in the pelvis, which is a strange place to have it operate, and uh, kind of what's in the back and around the kidneys. And so I got off the phone with this guy, and I was like, well, I'll go find these doctors, and I'll talk to them, and I'll, I'll see what they say. Um, but, you know, I've I, I got to help my family out, but I don't necessarily know that this is something I'm going to end up doing. And so I, I went to meet with them, and, and they ended up being incredibly helpful. Uh, the, the person in question survived. This was, you know, 20 years ago, and it wasn't something you automatically survived back then. They, they sent them to kind of the world's experts who, who took great care of them. 
And they were very informative, uh, but at the same time, really down-to-earth good people. And and so they basically all, like a couple of the residents and, and one of the doctors on faculty there were like, look, man, in exchange for, for this assist, you know, you got to come back and spend some time with us when you are a more senior medical student and you're in the hospital. And so I kept my promise, and I went back, and I spent a few weeks with them near the end of my my time in the clinics in the hospital, and I was sort of like completely surprised at the fact that I loved what they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they were really, really, really exceptional surgeons, like the, the first people to do complex surgery with cameras, uh, so laparoscopic surgery it was urologists, the first people to do uh, complex surgery in the body with lasers. Uh, it was urologists. The first people to do complex surgery in the body with robots. It was urologists. And it was lasers just, and robots. Lasers, robots, and cameras. I can understand. Urologists are cool. Sharks like, with freaking laser beams on their heads. Yeah, yeah it's right. like you were operating on balls in space. <laughs> no, I, that's right. I'm sure one of space us is going to go to space. I'm sure of it. Because if we're going to live in space, we got to figure out how are people going to do it in space. How are, are people going to get vasectomies in space? There will be a goddamn urologist in Space. And exactly. I hope it's me. I yeah. want it to be me. Okay? Yes, it should. Except you're not a robot and you don't I'll shoot talk lasers out of your hands, but you do. You yeah. don't know, man. That's what it felt like with him, you know. Oh, we're, oh. so so gentle you know, yet I, strong. I wish you had given me, given made a reference for me when I had to have mine. You know, Dr. Joe, sorry, I've like sent, you know, I was sent to you by a friend and I feel like I've sent like five of my friends your name. But then, because everyone's getting vasectomy now. Well, so no, this is important though. So, so we do about five hundred thousand every year in the United States. Oof. That number varies a lot. You know, it could go up fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, go down fifty thousand, a hundred thousand. It goes up and down according to things like how well is the economy going. And yeah, you know, that, that was something I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Is it? In- it's inversely proportional to the health of the economy, or is it That's directly right. proportional? Gen- generally speaking, when the economy's crappy, people are more likely to come in because they don't want to have more kids. Right. Wow. You know, they're, they're so having a conversation with their wife, and it's just too much money. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that they wouldn't resort to other forms of birth control temporarily. Like, they're saying, no, forevermore, we don't want to have any more kids. Well, I I think it, it may be one of those things where people aren't sort of aware of it top down. Like they yeah. just know they're sitting at the dinner table like we don't have enough money to, to make ends meet every month and we're already on two. And, you know, one of them says, oh, I, I don't want that to be three. Yeah. And yeah. then he, you know, he goes in and he gets this done. And it is commonly covered by insurance, you know, that sort of stuff. That's another reason that it's a good option for people. The other reason why I'm not uh, mad at you, how could I be mad at you? Uh, can't be mad at Dr. Joe for being hard to track down. Is we're just out of March, and isn't March peak vasectomy oh, season? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why, yeah. How, why is that? Well, I, I think over the years somebody smart did the marketing, you know, uh, genius move of of suggesting to a guy, hey, look, you know, you're going to do this the first couple weekends of March, March Madness. And you've got some free time on the couch to to watch some basketball. Who do you think? Who <laughs> was a marketing guy for couches or basketball or right. like? No, you know, Columbia. Yeah, or urology. He wanted to make his practice busier doing vasectomies. Yeah. You know? I I did it once four years ago. We did the whole March Madness thing, signed it up top to bottom, and uh, the problem was like the Thursday of the tournament, the, that first Thursday. I think I did twelve, and the Friday I did ten. 
And then, you know, over the weekend, I'm a basketball fan. It's not like yeah. I didn't want to watch the damn tournament. And, you know, <laughs> phone's blowing up with, like, people are like, oh, you know, one side's swollen. I, I need some more pain medication. And I'm sitting there going, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just wait. Just, just wait. wait. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sit on some ice. Yeah. That's right. Call me on Monday. You're yeah. about to go into <laughs> overtime. We'll be back with more from Dr. Joseph Alucal after a quick word from our sponsors. Part of the reason I got my vasectomy was that parody reason. And the other reason is kind of like a less rosy reason is that, you know, I wasn't sure at the time whether my marriage would last and it ended up not lasting. And I didn't want to be like my dad. My dad got divorced from my mom and then went on to have a series of like other kids and other families. And, you know, now I love them. They're my half brothers, but they're, you know, they're like 11, 13 and 15. I'm 38. Like, I don't have that much to do with them. And, you know, it's sad for me. And I and I think it's sad for them. And I didn't want my kids to have I didn't want that to be uh, an option for me when I was alone. So I thought, okay, better that I make the decision now. And then when I'm desperate and on hinge, not desperate, just FYI, and I am on hinge, but not desperate, um, that I would not, I would, that option would be off the table, kind of like um, hiding your keys when you're sober. So when you're drunk, you can't drive home. Sure, sure. Um, I hear you. I mean, I, I do think, I, I never know and I'm never going to judge anybody who's sitting in front of me and saying, you know, I want to have more kids and I'm trying to figure out how, and this is my story. But I, I do think, and I, I think that, that generationally, you know, our generation has maybe different points of view about what's a family supposed to look like and what's the role of a dad in that family, maybe than one generation before us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't mean to make a, a broad generalization, but I mean at the same time, I just, I, I've heard a lot of guys say what you said, which is, even if my relationship didn't persist, if something happened and my wife and I weren't together, I know that I don't want more children. And I don't want to try and build a different family with somebody else. This is my family. Even if my wife and I aren't together anymore, we're going to do what we can to raise our children. And I'm I'm not going to embark on that with somebody else. I must have heard that. But the yeah. thing is, is you think that well, the reason why I got a vasectomy is because I knew I thought that at the time. But I was also reasonably certain that if I did get a divorce and I was lonely in like five years, I'm lonely and I want to find someone and it's like a deal breaker that I can't have kids. I don't want to have to make the decision at that point. I want the option to be off the table. Now, I know there are some ways to reverse a vasectomy, sure. but it's so yeah, much yeah. more involved than and more expensive. Yeah. <clears throat> so for yeah. me now, like I've gotten some feedback just like no kids, deal breaker or it's usually like you seem cool. Really? No kids, deal breaker. It's really? Like, yeah. <laughs> like 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 they just check the box like like well, when you ch- check the, once you check the box, the... they give you back the application. Well, I'll be checking. You know, we'll be chatting, and it's like, oh, like, oh. yeah, won't we'll match, and then I'll be like, oh, hey, you seem cool, but no kids, deal breakers. Like, yeah, well, yeah, oh, well, that's, you know, what? <laughs> that's the deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess you know, it's been better to know that now. Um, uh, you can... 
if I may, like I was going to say, um, the so I actually had uh, my vasectomy earlier on this year. It was uh, around Super Bowl time, not Mar- not March Madness. Um, Your V date, yeah, my my infamous V date. Uh, and you know, I think <clears throat> I don't have that much to add in terms. Of, I think I had kind of similar um, similar reasoning for getting it. Uh, I am still with my partner, and uh, when we discussed when we discussed the idea of me having a vasectomy and everything like that, like a lot of it, um, certainly some of it came down to like financials, but that really didn't really so much come into it. A lot of it came down to, like you said, um, birth control, uh, contraception and all that kind of stuff. And like, I never want to wear a damn condom again. Never. Not in like, not in this lifetime. So that was like- In the next lifetime. (laughs) Or the next. Well, I don't necessarily believe in the next lifetime. So, but like- no more condoms this time or this time. So um, so that that was a huge part of it. But then I think also, uh, like what you said, I really just want to only have one family. I think it comes uh, from a similar situation. My parents got divorced, um, my dad. And although I'm very, very happy with, um, with my extended family, um, my dad got remarried. He didn't have more kids, but... Even just having other siblings, other step siblings, and everything like that, I didn't want to be in a position of, of raising more kids. I really just want to concentrate on my own family, and um, yeah, no, and, and I and I guess on top of that, like like JDS said, like I really, it seems unnecessary and unfair for uh, my lady to have to like pump more, more hormones in her body just for us to have a a comfortable sex life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 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 also I don't want any more stinking ass kids. I mean, honestly, when it comes down to it, I'm 43 years old. The idea of having another child. Like I had my 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 most recent and God bless her last child when I was 41 years old, 40 or 41 years old. And like the idea of having another stinking ass kid, like running around, like my knees hurt. I wake up, my knees hurt. All of a sudden, I got a like a back injury that came out of nowhere. Like you you're know, getting like, old. Yeah, I'm getting old. I'm getting you. old. Like I don't, want, I don't want any more kids. I don't um, want any more kids, Doctor Joe. Yes. Uh, just for our listeners who might not, a few listeners who might not have already had a vasectomy. Oh, um, sure. Do you mind just walking us through what you actually do? Yes, please. And then then I have a very important question once you walk through. Okay. So, uh, you know, I always think of the um, the Family Guy joke, you know, that that song of vasectomy is a medical procedure. Right. So so um, it is a a procedure that's done almost always in the office and almost always under local anesthesia only. So that means it's 84% done in the urologist's office. That's right. And, And not that different than, say, going to the dentist. Okay, you walk in there, you're talking the whole time until somebody puts something, you know, into your mouth, right, you know, at the dentist's office. But in our case, you and I are able to talk the whole time, and you should be comfortable the whole time. We have to give you some local anesthetic, just like the dentist, to get everything numb downstairs. Sometimes that's the only uncomfortable part. Most of the time, that's the only uncomfortable part. And we even have some tricks up our sleeve to make that far more bearable, okay? So where are you injecting the um, anesthetic? So, uh, again, you know, we, we started off the show with this, two testicles. They've got some attachments, some wiring. And, like, when I'm trying to explain this to the medical students in terms of, like, the anatomy and what are we working on where when we're doing operations down there, things like that, 
I ask people to imagine a big light fixture in like a big conference room at a hotel. Okay, so like, so imagine that's also stadium. how I think of my penis. <laughs> well, well, yeah, big light fixture. That's right. In a conference room in a hotel. <laughs> so it's kind of like interchangeable. Like you can depending no, on how no, many no, tables. No, no, I'm not talking about the light bulbs, but yes, no, we, we can work on that operation too. That might get us somewhere. But like the, the wiring is what I'm talking about. It hangs from the ceiling comes down to the fixture, but if you could imagine looking through the ceiling, if you were the electrician, you got into the ceiling, you know that wiring runs from the middle of the room in one direction to one of the walls. Mm-hmm. And so the, the wiring that goes to and from the testicle is bizarre stuff that once it gets to the wall, once it gets inside your body, it goes in all kinds of different directions. There's the one tube that's taking, you know, the tube that we're going to snip that's taking sperm, and it's got to take it in the direction of your penis, obviously. There are the blood vessels going to and from the testicle. They go in a totally different direction. There are the nerves that go to the testicle, and they go in a totally different direction. But once you get all that stuff out of your body and into, you know, again, like the ceiling, it's all in one bundle. Mm-hmm. And then it comes out of the ceiling, and you can feel it above your testicle. And so really what I'm doing when I numb somebody up, i got to put all this numbing medication into those nerves. I grab all that wiring right where it's coming out of the ceiling. The ceiling, oh. just so we're clear... The ceiling is, I don't know, the pro- is it the body cavity? It's like your... The ceiling is a space where somebody would get a hernia. Okay. And oh. it's the same space. Okay. If, you, if you could imagine that line, if somebody goes in to get hernia surgery, the line that they draw where they make the incision on your groin, that's exactly the, the course of the wiring in the ceiling. Okay. And so right where it gets nearer but not immediately on, like the base of your penis, it comes out of the, the ceiling and I can get to it and that's where I numb you up. And if I put that numbing medication in there and then I just wait a little bit of time, you shouldn't feel a damn thing that I do after that. And so what do you, know, you do? So what is a, right. What right. is a damn thing you do? That's right. So now further down, closer to the testicle, one of the, the pieces of wiring is this tube that carries sperm from the testicle, whose job is to make sperm, back all the way up through this convoluted pathway into your pelvis and then eventually to you know the, the organs near the base of your penis. I can get to that tube uh, right where it lives just above the testicle uh, without too, too much trouble at all, get it very near the skin, make a tiny opening in the skin, pull the tube through, snip the tube, tie off the edges, burn the edges, tie some tissue between the, the two ends of the tube, let it pop back into your body. Okay, yeah. I have a question. Is Where's the slack from that tube coming from? Like, if you're pulling point. it out of the body... Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a great point. It, it's, again, like that same wiring. Imagine you and I got up into the ceiling and tried to pull the light fixture up. We'd grab the, the all the wires and pull them back towards us. The The same way, you know, your testicles began when you were in the womb, deep in your body, mm-hmm. not where they are. And so they're attached to all this stuff because those attachments were made in your body. Well, as they descend down into the scrotum, the the attachments grew, and there's plenty of redundant or extra length in them. Uh, uh, slack. I was just going to say, um, <clears throat> uh, shout out to uh, the guy that did my... Um, the guy that did my vasectomy, uh, Jed Kamenetsky. Jed. 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 Dr. You know Jed, Jed? Kamenetsky. You yeah. know Jed, by the way? Yeah. Okay, well, you can tell Jed that he should wait longer for for, <laughs> for the anesthesia to come because I don't think he waited long enough. What did you feel? Like my, the incision? Oh, my God. It, it really, well, I don't know if I oh, so much sorry. felt. You no, know, I did feel the incision. I felt like it felt like this, like this intense 
pinprick. Although, I mean, it just felt like a pinprick, but it was like really intense. And then when he was working on it, I swear, like I just felt that. I mean, have you ever been kicked in the balls? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You, Jesse? Okay. Get ready. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, so, I mean, it really felt. Yeah. It really felt like like this sledgehammer kick to Jesus. my balls. That the oh. balls felt like they went up into my abdomen, and I just remember my toes like curling, but curling. not in a good way. You oh. know, uh, I remember. I it reminded me of the Wizard of Oz when uh, when the the, the witches, yeah. yeah, the witch's feet kind of curl up. That's how my feet felt Jesus. when he was operating on my balls. What I felt with you, Joe, when you were operating on my balls, was <laughs> um, I didn't feel any pain, but I felt like in my body the the tension of pulling that tube. It was yeah, a, I get it. Such yeah. a bizarre feel. It wasn't painful, but it's one but of those. You know, I was doing something. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those like um, feelings you get sometimes during surgery where it's like a visceral sensation which you've never experienced in a place you've never experienced. Like I've never felt that in my body in that way. Sure. Um, but just to so you 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 extract this tube, you pull it out, tie it, and you do that on both sides. Yeah, I was going to say yep. you do. I was. Well, you have to do it four times. I mean, maybe this is too much in the in the balls, but but, you, it, but it's two because there's two tubes you have to do. That's that. correct. And yeah. there's okay. two knots yeah. per tube. Yeah, and it leaves behind. That's right. It'll leave behind a knot on each side, you know, above and below, and then right and left. So it's a grand total of four. What kind of knot? It's O-line. a really <laughs> tiny silk stitch. Silk is something we've been operating with in the human body for like a couple hundred years, and your body never rejects it. Doesn't get allergic to it for some reason. It's just totally happy with it. So there's there's four tiny silk knots in in your body as a result of this. Um, and so then when you then what? Okay, so then you sew us back up. I remember when you when I got it done. We were talking about restaurants. You're a big foodie. You're talking about you and your wife. And so like that to eat. that was actually the the question that I really wanted to ask. Do you have where a, does Doctor Joe like to eat? W- yes. Oh man. Yes, especially after doing ball surgery. Like, what do you want? No, like, no, meatball? No, no, you want no, to go, I go, I go. What were you going to ask? Okay. Well, I, I was actually going to ask, do you have a, uh, like, what do you talk about? What do you, t- I mean, do you have a standard, like, points of conversation? When, you, when you're talking to guys and you're operating uh, on their junk, like, you know, th- I imagine that there's some people who are kind of uncomfortable with talking. Yeah, it's, sure, it's, sure, it's sure, part sure, of the sure. job. It's part of the job getting yeah. them to relax by talking yeah, to them. Absolutely. You know? A little bit. And, and, you know, some people just don't want to talk, so you got to let it be. And, and I do, I always encourage people, look, if you're really freaked out by this and you want to bring along, you know, your phone and your AirPods and just check out, that's fine, too. I just, there's a couple moments I need to be able to talk to you to make sure that you're not uncomfortable. But the majority of people, you know, you can get them to talk and not to think about this just by asking them simple questions like, what do you like to do? What do you do for a living? You know, tell me about your family and, and, and just be willing to listen and talk to people. That's the, all. Yeah. The only thing that I remember being a little freaked out by was when you cauterize the tubes, yeah, sure. yeah, there's sure. smoke. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is nodding around the table. That was like a very yeah. memorable moment. <laughs> yeah. But just to yeah, like, yeah, yeah. just to close the loop on what happens afterwards. So after you make the incision, the surgery is complete. Uh, you have, well, me as a patient, I don't jerk off for a while, and then I jerk off for a Which lot. Which was very hard, by the way. Um, that was a very difficult but thing so to ask. What is going on, and why? Like, yeah. What is that? What? 
Yes, I understand that you make the you you tie up both tubes, but what are we looking for, and what are you looking for in the recovery? Yeah. So the the reason I ask people to refrain from any kind of sexual activity for a couple weeks after surgery is because if I gave anybody an out, the following one sexual act is okay. Everyone would be doing it nonstop for those two weeks, and people would also be trying to push the envelope. So, like, we, we don't want people having sex immediately after the procedure just because we have done some work down there, and it's easy to traumatize it and stir up bleeding. And it hurts. Yeah, right. But, you know, guys being guys, they're still going to try and, I like... I don't care. I still got to fuck. Yeah, right. <laughs> it they, it exactly. hurts so bad that's, it is bleeding. Right. I don't care. I know, but daddy I needs his medicine. Do right. Exactly. <laughs> so, instead, I just tell people, you can't do anything. Two weeks, you're going to survive. Just get through it. Mm. Now, what happens at the end of the two weeks... It's not that anything fundamentally has changed in there. It's just that you've healed up enough that you can go back to sexual activity and you're not going to stir up any bleeding. Like, that's me having erred on the side of caution. Uh, two weeks is probably longer than I need to tell people to wait. But, again, I know that people are cheating. You know, guys who got to 10 days like, I got to do this. You know, okay, fine. You know, at least I got him probably to a point where he's safe and that he shouldn't have any problems. What's the other issue, though, is that where we did this work and knocked out this bridge Beyond that point, there already were living sperm stacked up in your system. Right. Okay? So the other thing i got to remind people is that the majority of people are going to fail a vasectomy, fail it the same way, which is just a few weeks after surgery, and they figure, ah, i got to be all set. You know, that guy told me I had to do a test to check and make sure I was sterile, I was clean, but uh, everything's got to be fine. They have unprotected sex with their wife and their girlfriend or, or their girlfriend, and they get them pregnant. Right. Yeah. And it's because they're still very much firing live rounds. And so that one, you'll hear different people tell patients different things. Some people say, wait three months. But, you know, again, I don't know what people are doing in those three months. Sometimes people get confused. They think the whole three months are not supposed to ejaculate at all. Sometimes people, they hear three months, but they decide to wait three weeks, you know. So instead, I tell people, <laughs> You mean guys no. just get really dumb. Look, <laughs> I, I, no, I, this is, hey, man, the, we're, we're all men, and I, I take, I'm never going to want to offend anybody, and I take no offense. But there's a talk I've given all over the world where I used to have a slide that said young men are dumb. <laughs> and and at the end of having given that talk one day, someone walked up to me and they go, you know, you could make it easier on yourself either by putting young in parentheses or just take it out of the damn slide. <laughs> but it, it, it's, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it, it's standard to have uh, to have a um, a fertility analysis, a sperm analysis um, you, after, you, isn't it? You should. You, everybody should. You know, the correct answer is absolutely. You continue to use contraception until you've done that test, and then you and I have discussed that test result, and only then do you have a clean bill of health to stop using contraception. And I tell people, don't bother doing the test until you've had 25 ejaculations. I don't care if that takes you three weeks or three months, (laughs) but, you know, at that point, there's a reasonable chance that you've emptied out the... Yeah, right. Three weeks. I know. That's you know. That's I mean, one of hey, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying. I'm. 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 I'm, oh, I'm I mean, I'm I'm impressed. Scra- I'm I'm impressed by how much you scratch. ejaculate. I'm, I'm a just strapping man. Yes. Yes. There's you know um, hands-on experience. <clears throat> um, so, what happens to the? So okay, this is like sex ed 101. But quickly, the difference between sperm and semen. Semen. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So the, again, the sperm are coming from the testicles. Okay, and they're they're what are going to get uh, your wife or your girlfriend pregnant, right? 
But the rest of the fluid that goes in the semen, in fact, the overwhelming majority of it, comes from the organs around the base of your penis, like I was talking about before, and that includes your prostate. And so that's why you can do this procedure to somebody, and there's no noticeable difference in terms of what they're ejaculating. The, the fluid comes, the majority of that fluid comes from downstream structures to where we did this work, so that's not impacted at all. Mm-hmm. And keep what in mind, the is, only reason... What, is, what's, what else is in semen? Sure, yeah. So, so uh, fluid that helps to counteract the acidity of the vagina. Okay. Oh, oh. Uh, like, uh, some, is it a fat? Or what would uh, it... No, like um, it, it's a, a protein that's made by the seminal vesicles. Okay. Uh, some sugar, a particular kind of sugar, fructose, which is actually a, a source of energy for the sperm. Oh, they're um, food. Oh. It's like their little <laughs> snack pack. It's like the little yeah. like, bit of Gatorade. Yeah, kind you of. got it. Yeah. Keep on going. <laughs> Yeah. Or smart water, it's a little bit more natural. Yeah. Coconut Body water. Yeah. Delay your gratification just one bit. We're going to hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. But right, so the whole reason anybody has a vasectomy is so that they can have unprotected sex, Right. If something about the procedure, I have to answer this question all the time when people come in and they're a little bit leery of doing this. If something about the procedure fundamentally altered your experience of sex whereby you didn't enjoy it as much, nobody would do the freaking procedure. Right, right. Right? Like if you told me afterwards, oh, you know, I I can't get her pregnant, you're right, but I don't have any sensation of having an orgasm anymore. Who the hell would do this? So, you know, for the 500,000 guys a year who are doing this, the overwhelming majority of them come through on the other side and they go, there is no discernible difference in my sex life. Mm -hmm. Erections are fine. Sensation of sex is fine. Sensation of orgasm is fine. What I ejaculate looks the exact same. If I didn't know any better, I wouldn't know that anybody had done this to me. And that's the only way this works. And what happens to the semen? Like, so now I'm, I think I'm a year, two years after the procedure. Am I still producing semen? You mean sperm. Yes. You are, I mean, sorry. you are, you you are, are still, yes. Yes. I mean, sorry. You are I mean still producing both, but y- yes. So the sperm you make upstream of where we did the work in the testicles, those have nowhere to go. Oh. They they <laughs> hang out for a little while and then they die. You're like, ah, oh, fuck uh, this. Wow. <laughs> when they die. They all just kind of like jump see, off See, like, the I don't want to think about that. It's so sad to just like a bunch of these sperms like sitting around like, guys, come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Ah, fuck yeah. it. I give up. Yeah, hey, your yeah, whole yeah. life, those guys have been, you know, you think of, you've literally made trillions of them that's in the true. course of your life. Yeah, that's how true. Many kids Why do you start have? caring now? You're, no, I'm saying, well, how many kid, children do you have? Two. Okay, so out of the trillions of sperm you've made in your entire life, only two actually got the job done that they were made for. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. They're a bunch the of roused about I mean, no good. You know, yeah, no, scattered it's... all over God's green earth. You know? Losers. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, they, they, those were the only two sperm that actually, like, did their job. The rest were right. too many to too busy taking coffee breaks, like going, yeah, like trying to look busy. You know, that guy that was always just kind of hanging around, yeah. smoking a cigarette. Right, yeah. And when the boss comes around, they start sweeping up. Yeah. Um, so what happens to that? What, so, so the sperm die. Yeah. And they then they have a little the sperm pieces. funeral. Yeah. And they, they, do they, they die in they, the vas deferens? Me they die in the vas deferens and the yeah. organ immediately upstream of that, which is called the epididymis. How many times do you hear the joke that, like, I'm going to show you vas deferens because you are a professional? Oh, but the other one, you know, like, there is a vast difference between A and B. Like, I got friends from college oh, yeah. who are looking for yeah. every single possibility <laughs> that, you know, they can't make that joke with me, you know, right? <laughs> 
What's the Is worst? There a vast difference between your old job and your new one. <laughs> I like vast difference. It's kind of yeah. nicer. What are the other urology jokes that you uh, you hear? Uh, you know, the, the best one I heard was just the other day when I hadn't heard it before. A, a patient walks into the. Come on, hit us, hit us with it, Doctor Joe. Come on. Yeah. P- patient walks into the doctor. You're going to have to stop masturbating quite so much, sir. Why? Because I'm trying to examine you. <laughs> that's a good one. That yeah, is good. That's, that's good. I like that. I, can I steal that? When yeah, are you going to use that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay. Well, I guess one of the other questions I wanted to ask is like maybe a little more serious, but I feel like we covered vasectomies. Uh, for a lot of guys and a lot of our audience, um, you know, men's health is something that overall men are kind of neglectful of or yeah. don't consider. And I wanted to give you a bit of an opportunity to talk about some of the other things that not only you do, but some of the other things that men should generally be aware of sure. um, with reproductive, I guess it's not reproductive health, just men's health at, uh, in general. Sure. There, there are a lot of different doctors who wear the doctor of a men's health, uh, wear the hat of a men's health doctor, um, and I think urologists, as one group of us, you know, it's there are a lot of guys who we're the only doctor they're going to see between like the ages of twenty and fifty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's something strange that happened downstairs. We'll put them in front of the doctor, and I just try and always I would try and remind the doctors who do what I do. You know, you got to remember that that's an opportunity to put this person on better footing in terms of their health as they get older. So, you know, if that guy's talking to you and he's 45 and he hasn't seen the doctor in 20 years and he's smoking and he doesn't exercise, you know, I know it's not what you were trained to do. You're a surgeon. But take two minutes or five minutes and talk to him about quitting smoking. That's going to keep him from getting diseases as he gets older that you don't want to deal with, things like bladder cancer that are almost entirely related to tobacco use and we take care of. Um, get him to exercise. That's going to help him in terms of things like diabetes, high blood pressure. If you have to operate on him on some other reason when he's 60, you know, that he's going to be a healthier dude. Yeah. Do you feel that, that it's more, you know, I read about all the time about the average time spent of doctors with patients is going down and down. And Yeah, um, yeah. Do you find that pressure yourself? I mean, you were talking yeah. about during March doing 12 vasectomies a day. It's like, is it difficult to have that more GP conversation with a patient? Yes, absolutely it is. Yeah. I don't know how those people can do what they do and not only see one patient an hour. And they're asked to do you know, something far more difficult than that. If, if they're seeing you know, 40 patients a day, it's, it's really hard for them to be able to do everything they need to do to keep somebody healthy. And I, I think it, you know, it reminds me also that like all of us play a role in our patient's health. So, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody, my trainees don't get to cop out and say, well, I, I only take care of this. No, you're taking care of this person. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to take time to ask them these questions, listen to their answers, and be a good physician. You know, it, tell them what they should do that's going to keep them healthier. I do, you know, I, I worry all the time about things like, you know, do we not have enough time? Are we being pressured to do too much? I, I'm an eternal optimist. I've got to believe that the future, you know, what will technology enable us to be able to do for patients um, in five years and 10 years and 50 years, I think it will be more. I think it will be easier for us to reach more patients and to be better doctors. But right now, I just need to, to get men to understand, yes, it's okay to put yourself in front of a doctor. And I need doctors you know, who do what I do to understand, yeah, we got to take care of these men. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, I, I know for myself, I felt like it was a good opportunity, and <clears throat> I, I joked at the uh, at the expense of, uh, of my man, Dr. Jed Kamenetsky, but shout out to him, because I feel like we were able to have a very real conversation about uh, prostate health based sure. on, yeah, based on having the procedure, and I was wondering if that, like, if having that procedure allows that conversation to open up for men. Also, I mean? just sidebar, you're older than I am. What's going on with my prostate? <laughs> yeah, it is a great question, and nobody knows the answer. So, so a strange organ that, um, like I said, it's involved in making uh, the fluid that goes into semen, much of it, and as well, it has a muscular component. It's involved that that muscular component contracts involuntarily when you have an ejaculation. Mm. So it isn't just making the fluid. It's actually involved in, in getting it to squirt out of your body. You know, wh- why? Did- Where is it? It's in the base of your pelvis, the absolute bottom of your pelvis. And again, like, that's why, you know, Moon River, that joke about, you know, getting a rectal exam, why do we have to do this to check people's prostates? We feel one surface of the prostate through the wall. Of your <laughs> wait, 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 what? Back up, back up, back yeah. up. What's Moon bit. River? Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, come on. You guys not know Fletch? From Fletch, yeah. Oh, you know, oh, I'm not no, kidding. No, no. I have, I have no, to I remember that specific. medical students now. But, yeah, there's a scene in the movie where he goes to a doctor and the guy checks his prostate, and his joke is like, you using the whole fist, Doc? <laughs> this will be over in a moment. He starts singing Moon River. That's funny. I vaguely remember that. Yes. Anyway, the, the, the joke being, you know, why do we have to go through that unpleasantness? And, and patients always, 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 they try and duck out of that. They don't want to get their prostate checked. I get it. And, and honestly, I don't want to check anybody's prostate. It's no fun for me either. You know, the, the point, you though, You have to I go made, through, let's just... You have to get through the yeah. anus. That's like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best way we got right now. <laughs> All to roads lead through the anus. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Again, now that is going to be that is going to be on my hinge profile, <laughs> right? But I'm, I'm going to leave it alone. So, <laughs> so anyway, but you're not. But you're yeah, not. Well, I did not. When I said that, you're right. I was lying. But the, the, what are the problems our prostate causes us as we grow older? Every other organ in your body got the memo to stop growing when you gr- uh, turn 20, uh, well. and your dumbass prostate keeps growing. And so sometimes it can grow in a fashion where just because it's bigger, it can cause you problems in terms of urination because it's an, also a next door neighbor to your bladder, mm-hmm. and that happens to guys as they get older. In addition, in some guys, it can develop prostate cancer. Wait, wait. Mm-hmm. It is endlessly fascinating to me that that of all organs just keeps growing, like your nose or your ears, which... Yeah, um, they all stop. But why? Is, is there an evolutionary explanation why a prostate would continue to grow larger? Or is it a Not function that I of... I can figure out. Maybe it's a function I of... Really, um, I've, I've wondered about this, as bizarre as that sounds. Like, to why me, I feel like go- a good theory would be, or might be, although maybe not, that... Um, as our lives have become artificially elongated and life expect- expectancy has risen due to technology and you know, development, you know, maybe evolutionarily we should have died at a point when our prostate was reasonable. Instead, we're living on sure. well beyond prostate age. With these completely unreasonable prostates. Just huge prostates. Sure. No, no kidding. I mean, when, when you are a 20-year-old, it's probably about the size of an apricot, between like a cherry and an apricot. 
sometimes in our practice, 90-year-old guy who can't pee, he doesn't have cancer, he just can't pee, and we'll take out a prostate the size of a grapefruit or larger. Wow. And what's in there? there There is a serious concern for some people, and you can actually help clarify whether or not this is a myth or not. Some people uh, are concerned that it will, uh, having a vasectomy will up their chances of getting prostate cancer. Right. is that right. complete? Is that a complete myth, or is there something to I, that? I believe it to be a complete myth. It, okay. That that assertion is based on two studies that came from the same place. Um, it's going to sound bizarre when I say it, Harvard. So the School of Public Health there ran a men's health study where they looked at men who were in some sort of health profession. So physicians, nurses, physician assistants, dentists, and they followed about fifteen thousand men for many years. Okay. And they were the first and only people to ever make the suggestion that a disproportionate number of guys in their group who they'd followed who'd had a vasectomy um, were more likely to develop prostate cancer, okay? And so the criticisms of that study, there's a million of them, but I think the first is it's way too few men to establish a relationship between two things that are really common. Like I said, 500,000 vasectomies every year in the U.S., and as well, 200-plus thousand men every year in the U.S. diagnosed with prostate cancer. In addition, you've got a group of men who are not men on the street. You've Mm -hmm. got a group of men who are far more likely to put themselves in front of a doctor every year. They are more likely to get diagnosed with prostate cancer. There's dudes out there right now outside this clinic who haven't seen a doctor in 30 years. They might have prostate cancer, but, you know, diagnosing it in them depends upon them actually seeing a doctor. So that first study came out, and shortly thereafter, um, some researchers in Denmark used a health database for the entire nation of Denmark and found no relationship. Far, many, 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 many more patients, far more statistically significant conclusion, I think. Um, these guys from this Harvard Health Professional Study just published a follow-up study a couple of years ago. There's people working on, on again, trying to discredit it. And I, I'm not Underwritten sure. by Durex? <laughs> right, I know, right, Trojans, right. Yeah. You know, I really don't know, you know, what's their motivation for trying to scare people on this count? I, I, I don't know. But there's no physical explanation or physiologic explanation as to why that might occur. And as well, I, I think it's really, really, you know, think about it this way. If we do a half a million vasectomies every year in the United States, it wouldn't be that long before we recognize there to be a signal nationwide. Right. You well, know, and so I, I just think it, it's got to be, and at last piece of advice I always, you know, remind people about. You don't know how many urologists our age have had this procedure done. Like, I go to meetings, and my buddies are like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so, I trained with him. He lives in the area. I'm just going to his office tomorrow. It's closed, but he was just going to do my vasectomy real quick. Right. So you guys... Right. If we were hiding it from people, or if we were scared about it, we wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So the last question I have for you is... And then I have a last piece piece of advice for you. No, no, for him. It's it's really simple, but you it's do that very important. I'll, you do that, then I'll Okay. Ask. My last piece of advice for you, if you don't already do this, if not, holler at your boy, Jed, um, <clears throat> because I really think that you should, if you're going to shave the balls before doing the, the, the procedure, please inform the patients about how itchy they're going to get when the hair is growing back. Sure. That is like I really wish he had told me <laughs> that. It, it was, like I mean, you know, the, my the swelling and everything yeah, like that yeah, was very uncomfortable. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you I was come twenty three times a yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. I'm bleeding from the balls, whatever. <laughs> but but I have to say, out of everything, that was the discomfort yeah. that I wish I had known about. 
sure. You got yeah. that, Doctor Joe? Yeah. yeah. Itchy, just, just a little bit of advice for you, Doctor Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the other we sometimes people will come in and and either they regularly shave themselves or they've already shaved themselves that day, and and they'll ask, and I go, look, it's fine that you did it, but. We don't like people doing that before a procedure because it actually increases their risk of infection. We should do it ourselves and then clean the patient up sterilely immediately afterwards. Mm. But, yeah, I, I, I know the people who are least bothered by that are the ones who are regularly manscaping themselves anyway. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is kind of like, Doc, that part did suck. <laughs> I, I really and not in a good not way. happy with that Yeah, for, for weeks. Um, uh, the last I, thing I wanted to ask you is what – if you had to give one piece of advice for not vasectomies, but for general upkeep that guys can do to keep themselves safe and healthy, what would your advice be? Sure. Uh, I, 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 I can make it quick, but I can't say it's only one thing. I, I, you know, hosting the radio show I did on Sirius XM for, for years and years uh, at my former institution, um, the Men's Health Show, We'd have experts from all kinds of different fields on, and the same answers always came up. Exercise, if you smoke, quit. If you don't smoke, don't ever start. Um, Try and get some more sleep. Try and do what you can to minimize stress. And those last two are hard. I know we're all working our asses off, and I know we're all stressed out about our families at home and our work lives and everything else, but just do what you can to try and sleep a little bit more and to figure out something you could do to reduce stress. I used to add in a fifth when I was talking to men. I, I used to, if, if we had a guest who was on about men's health, I'd make the point, establish a relationship with a doctor you trust. Okay, so I mean, like now is the right time for us to do that. We're men in our 30s and 40s. We got to have a doctor who we're willing to talk to. We don't mind seeing them once a year and let them keep us healthy as we get older. Can I ask a question about that, which I'm actually, I know I said last question, but do you recommend that is a general practitioner or can it be a urologist? Like who, what kind of doctor should I be connecting with? Sure. I, I know the technical answer probably ought to be the general practitioner. Mm-hmm. Like that dude can take care of everything above your belt. Or lady. You know, whereas I can't. Like so if it's your heart, your lungs, your ears, your nose, your throat. But at the same time, I also know that a lot of those guys Or ladies. You know, maybe you're not gonna have that relationship with them that, that you know, somebody has with me. I don't know. So I I try and wear both hats a little bit and we're trying to create a men's health center here at Columbia where we're gonna have the place stocked with doctors who people are willing to talk to. Well, Joseph Alucal, thank you for your service to my testicles and to the testicles of thousands of men. And Dr. Joe, on behalf of my testicles, you the man. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. Have a great day. Thank you so much for being on. This is very insightful. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Bye. So that's it for this episode of the Fatherly Podcast. I want to thank Dr. Joseph Alucal for being such a wonderful guest. Postel Pringle for being a compelling co-host, Jesse Schultz for being a sage engineer, Anthony Roman for being a dedicated producer, Andrew Berman for being a crotchety executive producer who makes the show better. If you don't know where to get podcasts by now, I don't know what to tell you. You should. And if you like this podcast, make sure you review and rate it. If you don't like it, keep that to yourself. Okay. Bye.